Welcome back to the newest episode of Cake Bites. Uh, my name is Katie Cakes. I am your host as always. And I'm super excited to uh, to share today's interview with you guys. I've been working to break my way into talking to some people who are involved in esports in some capacity. And I honestly couldn't think of a better first person to bring on the show than uh, no other than Jonathan Wendell. He also goes by the name Fatality, which is how most people probably know him. He is considered the first full-time esports player. He held the record for the most amount of prize money won in competitive gaming. He really, really set the stage for esports to break into mainstream and really make it a little bit more socially acceptable. Uh, He talks about his beginnings. He says he has 25 years worth of experience to talk about in competitive first-person shooter esports history to share with you guys. And uh, it was a great interview. I, I had a lot of fun. I definitely show my lack of late 90s, early 2000s computer knowledge. Absolutely embarrass myself. He talks about the experiences he has being a world champion in five different games. So I, I honestly just... Without further ado, here is Jonathan Wendell. To give you some perspective, I'm 26. So for you to tell me, you know, you've got 25 years to talk about in terms of esports is really exciting for me. Um, and so I, I kind of I started recording. So I mean, oh. I think this is a really good jumping point, honestly. And so you say you have 25 years worth of esports experience to talk about. Where does that start? Well, I mean, you know, I think it was more or less like the first day, like they had that, you know, the blockbuster championship, which you know people refer to like you know mm-hmm. dr speck is like the two-time champ right so i actually played in that tournament and uh you know i was uh probably 12 or 13 years old and um i just loved competing uh in sports but like you know video games was like the other thing i really enjoyed doing with my friends and competing against them like an nba jam or mortal Kombat. that kind of stuff excited me like crazy um, so basically I, this is like my beginning of learning that, okay, competition exists where I'm going to a tournament. So, uh, this was like 1993, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, basically I went to the tournament. I was, you know, small, you know, short little kid, 12 years old, 13 years old. And I was like, <laughs> I Damn, you know, like I'm really good, you know, just like you're full of energy. Right. And, um, Basically, I remember I was at my grandma's house and yeah, I was just practicing like crazy. Just but like it was it was kind of a weird tournament because it was based on high score and not about competing head on head to head, which is what I wanted. Mm. Uh, so I found out it was about like just oh, just it's how many points you score in the first half, and like you know, it's how many points you get in Sonic Hedgehog, it's how many points you get against a computer when you play this, you know, whatever guy, and they and they rank the point system right, mm-hmm. but like. I, I'm more of a guy that likes competing against people. Like, you know, NBA Jam uh, when, in that tournament, I loved playing one-on-one with my friends because you can talk smack and, you know, you 
dunk in their face and you just, it's like, you know, it's fun. Um, but, uh, so anyway, anyways, long story short, I took third, uh, uh, overall in my city, uh, for blo- that blockbuster tournament. Um, but only first place moves on to the next round or whatever deal was. Um, so it was just cool. It was like really fun. I mean, I, you know, I actually got, I got first place for NBA jam in my city and, uh, the other two games I really wasn't uh, that big of a fan of. And so I just like, I was like, ah, oh, well, whatever, I'll just wing it. And then, uh, so that's how I basically, um, played in my kind of like I trained for my very first gaming tournament. Um, and then basically after that, you know, obviously Wolfenstein 3D came out, mm-hmm. uh, Doom. These are basically like your blockbuster first person shooter games that came out. And, um, so basically I just started playing these first person shooters on the PC. And, um, this is like 1994, 95, I think, uh, 93, I think is when Wolfenstein 3D came out. And then my friends next door had a LAN network set up. So they actually had two computers connected to each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. And back then that was like a really big deal. Um, and it was very rare for people to even have one computer in the house, but imagine having two in your house and connected on uh, a network. So it's very rare. <laughs> and uh, I remember we used to throw a network cable across the lawn to our friend's house and so forth. So we all can be networked. Um, <laughs> And so it was, it was a wild, wild west, you know, of like, uh, you know, playing games like on land. Uh, and then after that, um, you know, the Internet came out, um, you know, the Internet uh, started getting very popular. Um, and then you can start playing games like Quake uh, on the Internet. And um, it felt like we were part of this like really secret club. Um, <laughs> basically, it was like, you know, only the people that are super into computers know about this stuff. I mean, computers was still considered very geeky, very nerdy. Uh, you know, and I just loved it. I mean, the, I mean, the same rush I get when I play sports, I got the same rush when I played the game against my friends. And, uh, and it was just, it was just so similar. And like, you just, you're, t- you know, I remember, uh, my best friend and I in high school, we used to have two phone lines. So we'd have, I'd have a, one of my phone lines call his modem and, can we connect to each other through the modem? And then we'd have our other line where we we're actually on the phone talking, like having like our f- phone, like up to our ear, like, you know, and just talking crap and talking smack the whole time. Uh, so this was like before we had headphones and discord and <laughs> everything else, you know? Uh, but you know, the, the energy of talking, you know, talking smack to your friends is, was still fun, you know? And, um, you know, basically they started having tournaments, uh, for these games in 1996, I think it was for Quake one. Um, I played in basically like every term I could find in the Midwest. Um, and I, I basically, I won every term I ever entered, uh, during that period of time. And, um, in 1997 or so, I think they gave away the Ferrari at E3, which, uh, Dennis Fong won. So that was like the moment was like, whoa, dude, somebody won a Ferrari playing Quake. That is unbelievable. And uh, and I was like, man, I wish I could have went to that tournament. You know, I mean, it's really hard for, you know, there's no way my parents would fly me to L.A. to get a hotel and, and play in a tournament. And it was just very limited to get there. Um, and how, how old were you at that time? I was, I think I was 16, uh, 16 years old. Um yeah, I was probably 16 years old when that happened, when that tournament. Wow. Or 17. And then, um, and basically I heard about these guys traveling around the world playing video games. Like they get invited by these companies who sell mice and 
uh, you know, headphones or whatever deal is. And, um, and I was like, man, this is so fascinating. This is like the coolest thing ever. This is like, you know, people competing and like, you know, they're winning like small prizes, like, you know, and sometimes there's no prize. It's just like, just bragging rights or like you got invited to the parties, you can drink and hang out with all the developers or, you know, whatever. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and like, I remember I won all the terms I won. I won like a free year of internet and then I won like a modem and I won a cell phone plan that didn't even work in my city. You know, it's like, this is so, so pointless, you know, what I'm winning, you know, but like the biggest thing I actually enjoyed out of all of my prizes when I, when I, when I was just like growing in the scene and, and playing and having fun was actually a piece of paper that said I was a champion. <laughs> and I used to put that in my algebra, uh, binder like in my uh in my note in my notebook and every time i open up my algebra binder my the old like there's only six guys in my whole high school that played quake and one of them sat right behind me in math and algebra class and i'd always open it up and look back and i was like yeah champion <laughs> so <laughs> so it, you know it, trolling was like a thing way back when you know but it was just a different form you know <laughs> and but you know we 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 laughed and smiled a lot i mean uh, I'm telling you, before before 2000, uh, I mean, I thought I was, I mean, I was just having so much fun in my life. Um, and I just felt like I was a part of like this secret club of people that played online. And it was such a niche market. I mean, um, it didn't really blow up until really Xbox came along and started offering like online play for console gamers, which most people always had a console. They bought a console. It was more affordable than a PC, even though the PC is... Uh, is a superior product in the sense of like, you know, mouse and keyboard and like, you know, there's graphics. There's a lot of things that PC can do that a uh, console can't. Um, but I still like console gaming for certain things. Uh, but, you know, it, it just, no one had a PC back then. Everyone had, everyone had like a couple of seven, you know, <laughs> like, and I was like, dude, like, why would you do that? You can use a mouse it's so much better. <laughs> I mean, and that makes sense. That kind of ease of access is really what was the main limiting factor at that time. Definitely like, you know, pre 2000, it was, you know, no one had computers. Uh, People were still learning about, you know, the Internet. You know, I mean, the Internet's only been out for like, what, six, seven years at that point uh, where people actually were like, you know, on it wherever. Um, But Mm -hmm. like a fascinating thing, you know, and uh, I think, you know, during that rise, you know, obviously these big companies were like, Hey, we're going to sponsor these tournaments. We're going to put up some money and, you know, let these gamers compete for it. And, um, and then basically, you know, one of my friends called me up and told me how good I was. And I was like, <laughs> like, I, I was like, dude, I win tournaments here locally. I, I mean, I've never lost a tournament, but I don't know how good I am. Like, I, you know, I just play for fun. You know, like I, you know, I'm going to go to college, you know, like, you know, I, I, I this is like, whatever. And, uh, I just, lo- I just love the competition. And, um, and then he was like, dude, like, you're like really good. Like I went to London and played and I beat all the guys there and you just beat me eight games straight. <laughs> I'm like, what? And it was like, dude, if you go to the tournament, I guarantee you'll just smash everyone. Like, like you'll, 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 you're leaving with money. And I'm like, no way. And then, uh, so basically I saved up 500 bucks. I worked at a golf course and I worked at an ISP, uh, when I was, uh, I guess I was 18 when I went to my very first professional tournament uh, where there's actually like, you know, significant prize money on the line and uh, went, to, had 500 bucks, spent it to go down there. I actually won the qualifier and uh, I got 550 bucks cash out of the deal. 
So I was like, oh, hmm. crap, like, this is awesome. I already got my money back, you know? And, uh, and then basically, I think it was like two weeks later was the main tournament. And, um, and then basically that was October 31st, 1999. And then that's when I played my very first pro tournament. And, uh, that term I took uh, home, uh, $4,000 for my very first professional tournament. And, uh, I was so excited about winning $4,000. Um, it's a lot of money for, especially at 18. Yeah, dude, it was so, so much because I mean, like it took me a whole summer to make that, it, it, you know, it, you know, it took me at least a whole summer to make that. And so, um, and it wouldn't be as fun either. <laughs> it was it was a blast. So then, uh, yeah, basically after that, I, uh, you know, I I was really happy with my performance. And then um, I think like two weeks later, a company called me up and said, "Hey, we'd like to fly you to Sweden to represent USA." And uh, and then I was like, "Wow, like you know, I can really make you know I might be able to make a living out of this or something." You know, I wasn't really sure yet. You know, uh, so. I, I, I knew I was good enough, but I just, it was just kind of like, I knew I belonged. Let's, let's put it that way. My very first professional term, I was like, oh, I belong. You know, I, can, I can be, I can play this. Like I, I was basically using my first term as my guideline if I was to continue to pursue it or leave it. And uh, so I was really happy about my performance in my first tournament. And then uh, basically I went to the t- tournament in Sweden and Stockholm and basically I played against the top 12 guys in the world and I won 18 games straight losing zero. And what were you playing at that time? Uh, Quake Three Arena. So, um, so then I basically, uh, after I won that championship, um, I was uh, like the de facto like number one guy in the world at Quake Three at the time. And uh, about a month or two later, it was kind of like, you know, prove it again, you know. And the next tournament, I, I won again. And then uh, I got invited to go to Korea to represent USA again, and I, and I won the gold medal there. And I just kept winning. I went to Europe, and I won there. I, I won like basically every everywhere. And uh, basically, uh, I remember I was on the golf course with my dad, and I was like, you know, this is like after my very first pro tournament, and I was like, I was like, Dad, like, man, like, you know, I don't. No one really does it, but like, I think I could like train like a professional athlete in video games and make a living. And, uh, and no one was doing this, like zero people in the world were doing this. I mean, it was strictly a hobby. Like no one was doing it. Uh, everyone was, this was a side gig just for laughs and, and like, you know, could make some side money. But I was like, man, like I could, I think I really can take this. And then, uh, and that's what inspired me to take like a, a professional athlete, uh, uh, approach to it where, you know, you train every day, you, every minute is spent strategizing or thinking about the game like i used to write on a notepad like timing items and how i'd have to time it and and i was doing all this like really in-depth uh analysis of the game um to like you know play the perfect strategy game but also play like you know play to your opponent's strength and weaknesses right or you know do whatever's correct for to win the game win the game right and then um then basically i think i made over 100 110 grand my first year as a professional gamer and uh I was like, yep, yep, I can do it. <laughs> so, uh, so that that's kind of what titled me as uh, the like the first full time professional gamer. What What was your family's reaction after seeing kind of the total, um, you know, like one hundred ten thousand dollars is a lot of money to make, especially as an eighteen year old, yeah. um, doing something as non traditional as playing games. I mean, how what was your family's reaction after just one year of that? Well, I actually, you know, there's a, uh, you know, my mom actually, before I went and played my very first professional tournament, uh, I got grounded for three from the computer. 
And so, but I was really drawn to going to compete. And um, there's a longer story here, I guess. Like, you know, when I was a teenager, I was supposed to go to Las Vegas to represent like kind of a junior nationalist, like billiards player, like pool. And uh, so I was supposed to play pool at, when I was 13 years old, uh, but uh, my parents went through a divorce um, and I qualified to basically go to Las Vegas uh, to compete against the best you know pool players in the nation uh, from Missouri. And basically, you know, I it got the carpet got pulled out from underneath me and I didn't and I wasn't allowed to go. Um, oh. And that was mostly my mom's side uh, choosing that. And uh, so basically uh, my parents got divorced. Right. So. Um, so then, you know, I had a lot of angst built up for like five years. And then obviously there's this one, I'm going to a tournament again. I'm going to travel and play against the best players in the world. Like, you know, that was like, I was like, that's all I want to do. I just want to play against the best and I want to see how I stack up. I don't, you know, and if I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, you know, but I, I need to find out. I have to find out. And that's why I kind of like inspire other people is like, you know, at least find out how good you are, at least like least try and like go for it and hey if it doesn't work out at least you tried now you know like whereas like if you didn't try your best and you you know you didn't go through the process you always have that in your back of mind like what if what if like i don't want to live like that i want to do it and then basically then i know and Mm -hmm. so so it's i like knowing rather than thinking and thinking about it um so basically that i so i moved out my mom's house uh moved with my dad uh, and then trained for the three months leading up to the tournament, which I won the four grand at, right? So um, I didn't talk to my mom for probably like four years, three or four years. Um, so it was just because it was a bitter time and because uh, I, I moved out and moved away from the home, like, you know, and it just it was kind of like a bad breakup almost. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're all cool now. So just so you know, it's, it's fine and dandy now, but it took a long time to get over it. Uh, I think after I really proved my point throughout my career and 60 minutes did a feature on me. And, you know, I kept getting, you know, my story kept getting richer and richer and richer. I was like, like, Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> like, so uh, my dad was, he loved my hustle. Uh, <laughs> even then my dad was still like, you know, what are you doing down here playing 10 hours a day? And uh, I was like, dad, I'm, I made a handshake deal with him. I was like, dad, if I don't win any significant money at this tournament, I'm done. I promise I will go full-time school I'll, I'll get a degree. I'll, I'll be on my way. Don't worry. <laughs> and, uh, so I made a hand, handshake deal, a deal with my dad. And that's when I brought home the $4,000 check and slapped on the table. I said, dad, I think so. <laughs> and, uh, basically from there on out, it was basically just proving my parents wrong, really. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, my mom was not supportive of it at all. Uh, my dad was skeptical, but just amazed. And then, uh, obviously my dad became very proud as the years went on. Um, and you know, obviously even for my uh, mom, she became very proud later on as well. Uh, so, uh, but it took time. It took a lot of like, you know, I had to prove a lot of people wrong along the way. Uh, you know, it, you know, East, you know, esports wasn't a profession. It wasn't, uh, you know, I was the only guy doing it. I was the only guy making money, uh, because I was winning so many tournaments and I was, you know, just, I was getting sponsored. I was starting my own company, uh, you know, and just winning tournaments, you know, so, it was, I was in a very unique position. So you mentioned that 60 Minutes did a spot on you, which I think is, must have been an amazing experience. But my favorite part is at the beginning, he, he's like in, it looks like you're in a basement. Were you like in a basement area at the beginning of the 60 Minutes clip? 
Um, that was actually, yeah, that was the, uh, that was my room. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a man cave. So, yeah. because it was like other people and their works, their, their battle stations and stuff were sitting well, out too. Yeah. I, I basically <laughs> checked out my whole room as a land center. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, he just like walks up while you're playing. Um, and you have like two other people in there playing with you. One guy like zonked out on your bed because he was like yeah. taking a break. Like it was just hilarious because I feel like you see things not so different from that now like with gaming houses for like you know like team like professional uh teams in esports yeah (laughs) but uh mtv uh also did a true life on you like that's how unique your situation was is mtv spotlighted you right yeah they did a whole feature on uh as me as like one of the pillars is like uh players making it and uh and one of the things that one of the things that i read on that was because they were following that 2005 painkiller um competition which which is a crazy story in itself which i do want you to talk about but um it looks like mtv overdrive which i'm assuming maybe that was like a a, another channel of mtv or online live streaming platform or something like that it was it was definitely way ahead of its time yeah and i was gonna say i didn't realize that that game was the first esport to be like broadcast worldwide online in 2005 uh right yeah 2005 yeah yeah 2005 uh we had over 90 countries tuned in um in 2005 for the grand finals uh and i think it was like november's like end of november of 2005 and then uh there's a, a total huge rivalry there, but uh, yeah, basically I won the world championship there, and uh, we had we basically took like some massive amount of bandwidth from MTV. It was like the most, it was like the craziest they ever seen. It. <laughs> it, was like, it was like in the VMAs, like the uh, like Video Music Awards. You know, it was it was massive. That's insane, and so that that like that point in the timeline is a lot earlier than I would have anticipated. I suppose I I didn't really realize that they really had the capabilities to stream worldwide online that early, but you know, what do I know? Um, I think they were trying to like do like live, like events, like uh, concerts online and so forth. Mm. Uh, The video game kind of thing fit right in there. Um, And, you know, it was kind of like what we were all looking for. I mean, you know, now today we're lucky to have Twitch, you know, to be able to stream all the content and whatnot. And everyone's getting into streaming more and more every, every, every second right now. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, you know, it was, it was the beginning, you know, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, the beginning was, you know, 1999 when I went pro and basically, you know, that was like the kind of the beginning of like, hey, I can make a full time living doing this. And, um, and kind of like putting my flag on the ground saying, like, I'm going for it. And then basically everyone's saying, you're, you're crazy. You're never going to make it. I remember going to Germany and people like, kind of like, oh, you're such a violent person. You kill people in a video <laughs> game. Like, it's like, I'm actually having a great time. And I'm actually a really nice guy. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and so it was just like, I have, I had to defend what I was doing uh, for everyone. Really. I was kind of like the global spokesperson for esports. Uh, you know, obviously since I was, uh, kind of like leading the charge at the same time like you know i was put in situations where i had to like defend what we were doing definitely and so how many different games did you actually compete or or earn titles playing i guess those are probably two different numbers but yeah um, so i became a world champion at five different games wow Uh, and uh it was basically they're all first person shooters um that's my specialty 
And um, I love playing other games too, but yeah, shooters is like my specialty and, and mostly 1v1. My 11 of my championships are one on one, and I have one team deathmatch uh, world championship. So with a team. And our team was uh, Clan Capital for Quake 3. So it was. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but you know, one v one was like where I was at, just because I, uh, you know, basically if if I win, I know I won. If I lost, I know I lost, and I, I love that pressure on myself. Uh, the more pressure, the better. And what uh, what was your favorite game? Do you think that you? Or maybe, and then that's probably a hard question, but like out of all the games you competed playing with. Well, you know, at first it definitely was Quake 3 Arena. Like, that was probably my favorite game. Uh, you know, obviously competing in it and turning, uh, you know, turning the possibility of making a living playing video games, you know, create basically, you know, basically almost creating esports to some degree. Um, you know, that was the launch, you know, and I loved Quake 3 at, 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 its, at its first, you know, year and a half of playing it. Um, as the game got longer in the tooth, uh, they changed a lot of the things in the game that made it uh, very uh, more friendly for noobs, um, which I didn't wasn't a big fan of. Um, I, I like I like games where it takes pure skill to win, and there's nothing to like you know there's not algorithms to help out the, the poor guy that's getting beat down. You know, uh, it's like you know it's like hey you shouldn't have died the first time that's your fault. You know it's on you, and so. Um, I love that kind of, uh, you know, go for the kill and don't ever let up. And um, and then obviously Painkiller actually brought all of that back. They brought back the pure skill, the pure domination, uh, you know, no mercy. <laughs> and the game would even laugh at you when you died. <laughs> you know, so it was like, it was really, Painkiller was like the one that, you know, that was like, that's what I want esports to be. It's like every month I was in a different country competing against the best players in the world for a championship. And then obviously we all qualified for the finals in New York City, which, you know, was like a million dollars online. Uh, so, um, and so that was an exhilarating rush. Uh, for me, I loved, uh, you know, fragging my opponents and killing them. And anyone that's ever played me in Panko, they, they know, uh, they know how ruthless I, I was about, you know, it didn't matter if I was up by 30 or 40 frags with, you know, 20 seconds left. I'm still going to keep killing you. Uh, so I was very relentless and I just wanted people to know, like, you know, my, my goal is to make you retire, you know, I don't <laughs> uninstall immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and that painkiller matchup. So you, you started competing in painkiller, um, a little bit later than, your rival and painkiller that you eventually played against was like how long he had been in the community for. Right. Yeah. So I came in the game a little late, um, not too late, but late enough that it like made a difference. Like the very first term I played in was in France and, uh, there are certain mechanics of the guns I still didn't know yet. And even, you know, eight or nine months later, there's still things I didn't know about the game yet where I was like, no way. Like, in Quake, when you shoot a rocket launcher at someone and it does splash damage, that's basically where the rocket does like this aura of damage. And like the farther you're away from the rocket, the less damage it does, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, in Painkiller, it didn't matter. Like the minimum damage a rocket would do is 50. It doesn't matter if it's super far away or, or really close. Uh, obviously, the closer it is, it might do up to 100. But but the farthest one away does 50 damage. Whereas in Quake, it might only do 8 or 10 or 25 damage. It might do something really low. So 
for the longest time, I didn't know that I could have been aggressive there. I thought I had to land two more rockets where I only had to land like one more rocket. And so these little details uh, made a massive difference in my progression of learning the game. Because at the beginning, Vu was like the best player at Painkiller. Uh, hands down, he was beating everyone. I remember playing him at the finals in 2004 in Painkiller. I took second at that tournament. And I was like, man, like, you know, it's just like I just don't got it yet, you know, in the game. And then I found out other things about the game, like, um, you know, uh, the there's a circle strafe jumping. This is a technique where you can run and jump really fast and get around the map really fast. Well, I'm not sure if you ever heard of like mouse acceleration on a mouse or, you know, hidden mouse excel and these kind of things. I've always used mouse excel. So when I move the mouse faster, it goes farther. When I move it slower, it goes, it goes slower. And so um, this feature of having this kind of thing on your mouse, we move it faster, it goes farther, is actually a deterrent, actually hurts you in movement in painkiller. So mm-hmm. actually I had to change my whole game to where I use no mouse excel and no no acceleration period. Like just straight up raw, like just like the you know, you move it twelve inches, it goes twelve inches. You move it six, it goes six. You wow. know. And I never played like that. I was always like a very like kind of whippy player. Like I would whip it around and have a really low sensitivity, whip it around, have a really low sensitivity and shoot. Well, I eventually figured this out. And then all of a sudden I was moving just as fast as everyone else. And then eventually I uh, started beating people uh, by a lot. Um, and just because of this movement thing, the movement was so important in painkiller. It was actually more important than like aiming to some degree. You still have to have a balance, but um, aiming is always important. Uh, but uh, yeah, then I eventually turned, turned a switch and then I, uh, and then I, I, uh, I remember I went to CPL Summer to play against Vu, and uh, Vu is my arch rival, and he always picked the map Sacred against me. So Sacred was his favorite map. Uh, there's only three maps to choose from. If I choose one, I get it. If he chooses one, he gets it. And if we both are different, the third one's the third map, okay? Mm. So uh, for, you know, and I knew he's my rival, right? So for a month before CPL Summer... I played only sacred. So you can imagine 30 days of training and only playing one map. So I, I was just, I was like, I am not losing on this map. I, I'm going to win on this map. He's going to pick it against me in the finals. I'm going to beat him on his map. I'm going to beat him on his own map. That was like my whole like mindset. Cause like if I can't beat the best player in the world at that time, uh, then, then I don't, I don't deserve to be the, you know, to win the championship. So that's how I looked at it. And so, I remember we got into the winner bracket final, uh, Vu and I, and basically I think he basically won probably five or seven tournaments before this. Okay. So this is tournament eight. And, uh, this is like this halfway point of the season, uh, for painkiller. And, uh, the referee comes up to me and he asked me privately, is like, what map do you want? And I say sacred. <laughs> he even looks at me weird. <laughs> and then the Vu and Vu goes sacred. And then he goes, okay, all three matches are on sacred. And Vu's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and I think that was like when I sent the sing the signal to him was like, I'm coming for you. And uh, and then basically I went on to win that uh, pretty easily. Uh, I think I won. Uh, I believe I won two zero or two one. I mean, I had to win one of the two. One of the two. I think it might have been two one. Uh, and then we played in the finals. And I, we, he, same thing. I picked sacred. He picked sacred again. 
even in the grand finals, he picked the same map after I won two one. He was, you know, he also has his ego, you know, that I, I'm the best in this map. I'm going to prove you wrong. But like, you know, I was already making the move, and uh, I won. I won two zero in the finals, and uh, then that was my first championship in Painkiller, and it was uh, extremely exciting. Wow, and that's so. I feel like the mental game is so strong. Like, I feel like sometimes that's the mental game can carry you through uh, a little bit. It can psych some people out, you know, just it puts them on edge, you know, like, you know, I mean, you know, I was a very private person as a gamer. Um, I didn't hang out with a lot of the gamers. I don't, I had my certain group of people I hanged out with. Um, I didn't walk in the lobby too much. I didn't go to BIOC. Um, I set up, I would set up a landstorm in my hotel room. Um, I was very, very private about everything. Like, uh, you know, people didn't know how I trained, uh, you know, people that did train with me were sw- sworn to secrecy. Um, if someone asks you how good Fatality is at 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 a uh, at the game or like what what's his favorite map, they were supposed to say he's just he's good at all of them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, like basically you don't let any information out. So, and basically this allowed like you know when the opponent comes up to play against me and we shake hands before the match, uh, you know, he already knows I'm coming. Like he, you know, everything built up for this moment is is like the ultimate moment. I mean, this is the moment that he wants to shine. If he can take me down, he's instantly famous. Uh, you know, so it's just, you know, it's just, you know, I had that kind of like aura around me where I'm playing these games and like every time it was like, you know, most guys couldn't handle it and they just got so nervous. They play like 10 times worse than they would normally uh, because the pressure is just too much. And um, so that was kind of basically uh, my kind of my story of, my career is like, you know, I mean, I had people walk with me all the time. I mean, I was shaking the whole time. I was so cold. Like, you know, like, you know, you, you just got me and I could never get it back, you know, and just like, whatever. Man. Like I've heard, I've heard like a thousand different reasons, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's part of the whole game, like leading up to the match, you know, and, and, you know, also, also I brought the game, like, you know, I had the game to back it up where in the sense, like, you know, I'm not, I was not a big shit talker. I was, I, I was like, you know, watch me play and my, my my play will do the speaking for me. Yeah, but I also use the the aura of like not hanging out too much, not showing people like my soft side, you know, like being like goofy or funny or I joking around and stuff. Um, but deep down, I mean, I was a super competitor and I wanted to win, and and they always knew that. You said earlier you also competed in sports and you've always been a very like physically active as well. Like in addition to having a rigorous training schedule for your games. Yeah. I mean- played sports my whole life and you know in sports you you practice you know you practice and practice and practice and you're just trying to get better and better and better and then eventually you know you want to win and uh i've always been like that uh i i even think me playing billiards when i was younger having that one-on-one aspect that that kind of pressure i i remember my very first uh uh, very first tournament uh as an individual um i cracked (laughs) i cracked hard and I was like, dude, like, why did I get nervous? Why am I shaking? Like, what is going on here? Like, I would kill this guy every time. Like, but like, you know, when you're like 12 or 13, you know, like when you're 12 years old, basically, I think I was that age at that time. I mean, you just don't know. You don't, you never felt that before. You know, like the pressure and the like shaking, like in like pools, like a very like precise sport. Like it's very, it takes a lot of precision, a lot of, you know, geometry and like, you know, you have to have composure. And so, um, if you want to play and like play with the, with the best, but like, so yeah, I, I remember I cracked, I just couldn't make a shot, missing dumb shots and then got beat. 
And I was like, I remember I was so upset. I told my dad, I was like, dude, let's do another <laughs> tournament right now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and about, you know, two, three months later, he says, okay, we're doing our tournament. It was a good success. We had like 45 guys coming. And then I end up, I ended up taking second. And I, I, I it's so funny. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember exactly how I lost the last match. I think I was, it was six, six. I shot a ball into the, I made the nine ball into the side pocket, but I scratched when I made the nine ball, which basically I lost the game. Uh, and the, and, the, and basically the final game, like, cause I, I've won six, he's won six. And, uh, it, it was funny. Like, I mean, playing all these matches against uh, all these guys throughout my years, you know, winning, uh, in Sweden, I remember what songs I listened to before I won the, before every match, I would play the song blue. Uh, I would listen to that song all the time, uh, before my matches, uh, you know, when I, when I played, uh, Machiavelli in the finals of CPL summer, the very first like big quake three tournament, hundred thousand dollar tournament. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, pummeling him, uh, underneath the bridge on DM 13 and, you know, the whole crowd just like roaring, like, like screaming, like, like applauding the screaming, like, can you believe he did that kind of thing? And, uh, there's just so many moments that you can remember throughout your career that just, you know, it's, you know, it's like, you know, you have that championship point and you have that championship moment. And when you, when you pull it off in the biggest tournament, that's, that's when it, it, it feels amazing. It's a massive rush, massive rush. I can only imagine. And I, I've followed esports in some capacity since probably like 2011. Um, but my first genre was uh, like MOBAs League of Legends was kind of like my first, touch of esports in my own personal life um but uh so there was a list that i saw that had ranked you and this is it was a little bit older it was like from 2013 i think it was business insider that ranked like you number one in prize money uh one in esports and you were if i'm remembering correctly the only american on the list and i promise this has a relevant question i and it was like Spots like two to six were Koreans, which and, and then the a lot of the other spots were like Netherlands um, area. And I'm just curious, is there any noticeable reason why the United States has kind of really <clears throat> lagged behind all of these other countries? I would say in the first person shooter genre, I mean, we, you know, we, you know, especially myself dominated that list. I mean, I was number one on the esports earning list for about 12 years and uh, and, you know, I was always the guy representing the USA typically, but you know, I don't know. I had a demeanor where, you know, nothing could stop me. You know, my dad always said to me, uh, there's always someone training harder. There's someone always training more. And every day I woke up, I was like, that's not going to happen. That's not happening. There's no way someone's going to train more. So I turned down everything. I mean, I mean, I've been invited to the Playboy Mansion countless times. I've been invited to like all kinds of parties across the globe. And I turned down all of them you know, because I'm trying to win championships. And, uh, and so for me, I was like, when I'm done, I'll have fun later in my life, you know, like I'll have, I'll enjoy my, I'll enjoy my, uh, being older, whatever you want to call it, being <laughs> in my thirties. Uh, but, but right now, I mean, I need to work. I need to put, I need to put, I need to put a mark on esports, And, uh, and that was my drive every day. I wanted to be the first and I wanted to be, I wanted to, you know, my goal is to go down as a legend, you know, um, and so, you know, that's I sacrificed everything for uh, a good uh, ten years, and um, and basically I was in hyperdrive for that ten years. I mean, it was like, you know, it was just you know, you're just never giving up, 
And, um, you know, I had so many people tell me it wasn't going to work out. It's not going to, it's not going to make it, you know, like I had so many people tell me it's never going to work. And then I was like, no, this is the future. This is the sport, uh, or, you know, this is the sports of the 21st century, you know, um, you know, this is what people are going to want to watch. And, uh, you know, they're already watching it and you can already see people don't care about sports as much as they used to. You know, I love sports. I still like watching sports, but you know, there's another demographic of people that don't like sports and they love esports, And, uh, and that's what we're seeing today. And, um, you know, it was just, you know, I had a big foresight for it. Um, I remember when I, when I started walking up, people shaking their hands before and after matches, people thought that was like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, dude, this is, e- you know, this is esports. This is competitive gaming. This is like, this is a real match. We're not playing games here. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you in this game. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like this is battle, you know? So, uh, so for, for me, that was, you know, you know, I brought that to e- esports and that was kind of like, you know, uh, my demeanor about it. And, you know, I mean, e- you know, you know, esports has recognized me like, you know, they gave me the first time, the first ever lifetime achievement award in esports uh, for my contributions to, you know, you know, bring good sportsmanship and to, you know, my, my goal is to be a good role model in the sports community. And this has been my life. You know, I've been doing this uh, as a, since a teenager. I mean, I have stories from, you know, way back when of, when I was five years old playing Nintendo and, you know, and, eventually you know the arcades playing you know going to arcade and putting your quarter down and challenging people for money uh you know i used to hustle selling uh you know the combo moves for uh for mortal Kombat at the arcade uh, what know, was the going rate i'm just curious. Uh, five, five bucks it's about that uh, was that uh 20 quarters or something like that <laughs> or 24 quarters it's not uh, a bad it's not a bad gig at all yeah so uh so, yeah, so I was, you know, I was hustling, you know, and, uh, and I, you know, I, w- I just loved it, you know, just competing and um, playing against the best. And, you know, esports grew a ton during my time. I mean, the first term I went to, the one I told you about where I won the 4,000, I remember I was running around with my socks in the BYOC, <laughs> running around having blasts, like talking to everyone, jumping. It's like, dude, this is the best time ever. We're playing like Quake 3 and we're going to win some money. And like, you know, you're hanging out with all your buddies and like, let's go play some, let's go practice. And, you know, it was just so much fun. It was just like, it was a, it was just such a different time then. I mean, throwing LAN parties, you know, I mean, LAN parties were the coolest things to do back in like late 90s, uh, you know, even early 2000s, was getting all your friends together, getting all of them, bringing computers over and playing games. I mean, and when you take a break, like, let's get some pizza. And like, we're playing like Battlefield uh, 2 or whatever. And I'm like, okay, like, and then we, we set up these bombs, like in these Jeeps. And we're sitting over there eating pizza and like watching the screen. Like, oh, here comes a guy. <laughs> and then we're sitting in the bush <laughs> eating pizza. And like, we take a bite of pizza and we go, should we wait till he gets to the top of the hill? Okay, well, oh, I think he's getting away. Okay. <laughs> he blows up on top of the mountain and we're just laughing, eating pizza. <laughs> so, I mean, we, I mean, that was what land parties were all about because, you know, you get to interact with the person where, you know, uh, you know, things are getting easier today, you know, with the communication uh, platforms that we have now and everything else. Um, but, but uh, land parties were truly like the best moments. Uh, and that's where you had the most fun with your friends. And, and you actually, you learn more. Uh, I would say you learn a ton more uh, talking to a person like 
in person about a game, like talking strategy or talking shop about the game or like, hey, would you use this gun here or this gun? You know, why? And then you talk about it for like 30 minutes or an hour and you fight over why it's better or not better. And then eventually you come down to a conclusion of like, okay, this one's better, you know? And then and then you're just trying to find the meta, you know? And, um, but yeah, it was so, it was so much fun playing, uh, playing the games and like, you know, having these LAN parties. I mean, uh, I, I remember I convinced the church to give me their gymnasium uh, to <laughs> <play a> party. <laughs> and, uh, and I had like 120 people show up. And uh, some of the people you might know is like DJ Wheat showed up. Um, uh, you know, I think Day Nine and Artosis came uh, to my LAN parties. And <laughs> so I used to throw some pretty cool LAN parties back in the day. And it was a trip. I mean, it was, you know, $20, get you in the tournament, might win some money, we'll buy you some pizza, have a good time. I would pay $20 to go to a LAN party thrown by you with all of your esports friends right now. Yeah, it would be a good time. <laughs> Um, and so how long were you competing for then? So in 05, you won Painkiller. Did you, and then? So basically from, so I go to, I mean, I, my very first professional tournament was 99, but I've been playing tournaments since like the 96, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 2006, I came back and played Quake 4 for about six months. Mm. I came that game like seven or eight months late. Um, but I was actually able to make it to the grand finals, but I ended up uh, falling just a tad short at number two spot. And uh, and then basically after that, I went and did like an exhibition match with uh, Sturmy because uh, CGS invited me to, or DirecTV invited me to be their global spokesperson for championship gaming series, uh, which is kind of like, you know, your ESL today and so forth. And basically, um, basically we uh, we brought gaming to, television every day more like probably more like e-league like uh turner sports maybe um mm. but we in esports to television and i was uh, a commentator uh more more of like a color commentary uh person on the show i talked about the players and what they're feeling and what it was like when i was in the situations or what they're feeling and what the rivalry is like and then um you know i was a global spokesperson so they like you know fatalities a part of this and it's legit you know so Having my name attached to it brought authenticity. Are you still playing at all? Um, competing at uh, all? or No. So basically, like after that, when I went to work for Championship Gaming Series, I basically announced my retirement. Okay. Um, and, that was seven. Um, and then I came back and I, I did some like one-off uh, events, um, basically, where like, you know, I went and set the Guinness World Record for most kills in an hour in Quake 4. It's like 680-something. Mm-hmm. I like, killed a bunch of guys. <laughs> then... Uh, and then basically in 2012, I did an exhibition match or, you know, basically I, I think it was one of my old training partners. If he could beat me, I would, I would, uh, we were going to give him 10 grand and then we, we played and I, I beat him. <laughs> and then, um, and then I was trying to set up another rivalry match uh, with, uh, an, uh, an old gamer that I used to compete against with, uh, from China. Uh, but he unfortunately turned it down. So, mm-hmm. and we were just trying, we we're trying to, you know, trying to build like kind of like a boxing match mentality. That was kind of like my philosophy later on was like, you know, I wonder how attractive these things are, you know, doing these like boxing matches kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's a different, you know, because like you might be a fan of like a certain person, like, you know, when you watch boxing, you watch like Mayweather versus McGregor, everyone in the world wants to watch it, right? They hype it up, they build it up. It's mad smack talking, talking, talking talking crap and uh so we kind of like copied that in the sense of like hey let's let's do our own boxing match let's do an esports death match you know 
And um, and then you get, you know, if the card is big enough in the sense like you have a really big name versus another really big name and it's colliding like China versus USA, you can build a story on that, you know, and then people will tune in and watch that. So um, <clears throat> that's what I was trying to trying to do some of that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. but since then, basically, I, did, I still play all the time. I've never stopped playing. Um, I don't train 10 hours a day anymore, but, you know, late this last year I have because uh, – I uh, I started playing on Twitch, um, which I'm still pretty new to it. But uh, you know, last night I had like 500 people watching me, mm. and people were learning about my stream. And uh, you know, a lot of people just don't know I stream yet. And so, um, so I've been trying to grow that a little bit. But you know, I basically uh, kind of put out a little goal for myself. I was like, hey, let's see how far I can go on player no battlegrounds, like in solos. And so. I basically told the guys I'm going to try to go for, you know, top 10 or number one. And basically uh, I got number one after a month and a half of playing the game. Really? But I was doing my old technique, like 10 to 14 hours a day, you know, grinding it, you know, learning all the meta of the game, dissecting the game. Like, when do you want to expose yourself? How much do you expose yourself? What, where do you drop? And I was basically mastering the game from like, kind of like my perspective of how, you know, the game tells me the rules are this. Okay, this is the meta for doing that. So, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, for a month and a half, I got to number one in North America for solos uh, in PUBG. And then, uh, yeah, I held the spot for about 10 days. And it was kind of cool, you know, being, you know, 37 years old and kind of like being number one on the leaderboards. So it was kind of like kind of proving the points. Like I still got it. You, know? you going after any other number ones online, uh, Fortnite? No, like I haven't been doing any of that. I mean, the leaderboards in that game are pretty bad in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it's it's not the same. Uh, I think right now, like most of the leaderboard people are just doing off wins, which is just like time consumed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a massive like grind. Um, but uh, no, not, not right now. I kind of proved my point in PUBG. Uh, I have been playing Fortnite a little bit for maybe two weeks or so. Um I got 21 kills in one game in the first week I played it. Uh, so it seems like the skills are carrying over just fine. <laughs> <laughs> do, are, are people, do people ask, like, are you the real fatality? Like, I can only imagine, like... It's, and- uh, yeah, I, I, I hop in games and, you know, they say stuff, you know. <laughs> um, and so, obviously, um, since you're not competing and you haven't been competing, but clearly you are making a living somehow somehow um and i'm really curious how you kind of flipped and and you've really created a brand around fatal the fatality brand um yeah so um fatality i started actually in the middle of my career um oh. in 2002 i started selling mouse pads with my brand and uh wordmark the fatality brand uh on it and basically my idea was okay i'm gonna make a gaming brand for gamers i'll be the first gamer that create his own brand um I'll I'll make products for gamers and help help educate them on how to play their full their full potential. And so I looked at fatality as like uh, fatality means gaming, just like Nike means sporting goods. And so um, basically, I went after it, and you know I started making mouse pads. I think I made like fifty grand in five months selling mouse pads wow. in two thousand three. And um, after that, I was like, wow, I'm I'm onto something. And then. Uh, then basically, you know, I started making other products like motherboards, uh, and then eventually evolved to sound cards and headphones. Um, and basically, it became like a, a, a pretty cool little empire um, where basically I was selling products worldwide uh, across the globe. And, you know, I don't know how many countries, I can't even tell you. Uh, 
but basically, you know, like right now, someone's buying a fatality motherboard right now, and someone's buying a, a fatality headphone at this very second, and uh, you know, I'm getting a royalty on those sales. Um, so um, it's a very, uh, you know, I built this business back in 2002, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been 15 years now that I've had the fatality brand, and we've uh, we've been selling a lot of products to gamers for a very long time, and uh, basically, it's always about trying to help the gamer play their full potential and teach them how to use the products. And, you know, on products like the headphones, uh, you know, I give very in-depth input on the development of them. I'm basically designing them uh, to some degree, um, you know, lightweight, comfortable, durable, uh, removable, removable microphone. Uh, a lot of the things I created actually are the first. So uh, you ever seen a really big mouse pad? Yeah. I created the first large gaming mouse pad. I actually have a large mouse pad myself. <laughs> but but like Please. you said, you you the way that you had your mouse set up was, you know, it had low sensitivity and needed the acceleration, so you were making really wide movements already. Yeah. So, it only makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and you look at every pro gamer today, I mean, almost all of them, you know, especially like first-person shooters have a very large mouse pad. Um, but you know, so basically I started making this mouse pad in 2003 and it didn't exist in the market. You know, the equivalent was a printer pad. You know, there was a printer pad which I was a big fan of, and uh, and I used it all the time. And actually, you post you post a bit of printer on this, not a not, not supposed to be a mouse pad. And I was like, wow, this is a really good mouse pad. And like, <laughs> I called up the company, sort of guy. I called up the company. I'm like, so I'm like, hey, like, uh, you know, uh, you are selling printer pads. It's like, yeah. It's like, and so then I I go. Uh, you know, how sales been the last, uh, you know, year or two, you know? And, um, and this is like, you know, this is like end of 2002, right? And uh, they were like, you know, actually our sales have jumped up a lot. We've been selling a lot of, a lot of these printer pads. And then I said, you're welcome. <laughs> so, so it was like, he was like, he was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, so I started explaining what I do for a living. And, and I was getting, I was the most interviewed gamer, like, you know, out there. So I told everyone to go to CompUSA and buy this printer pad. I told everyone to go buy this printer pad, which, you know, they were killing it. Like, you know, they were selling tens of thousands of more mouse pad, uh, printer pads because of me sending business their way. <laughs> so, uh, so I explained to them why their sales went up and because uh, they didn't really know why it happened. They're like, oh, okay, and, we'll take it though. <laughs> yeah, they, just, they, they were getting more words and they're, you know, they're like, what's going on? They didn't know. So I explained to them why they're getting more sales, and then they're they're offering me if the sales keep going up, I'll give you an X percentage of whatever sells more of your printer pads. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great and all, but like you know, actually, I want to make my own mouse pad. And uh, and then so that's when we create the Fatality mouse pad. Basically, just basically slap the logo on it, and you know, and basically, I I basically started um, selling it uh, through Fatality.com myself, and um, and then basically. This product didn't exist in Europe or Asia, so I called up Europe and Asia, uh, different distributors. I go, hey, this is Jonathan Wendell, Fatality. Um, I'm selling mouse pads. And they're, 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 they're like, oh, wait, this is Fatality, and you're selling mouse pads. I'm like, yep, selling mouse pads. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> it's like, so it was so funny, but then the guy was like, okay, uh, I'll buy some from you. I was like, well, you know, you got to buy a lot though, because I want you to become my sole distributor for Europe. <laughs> so I sold the guy on buying a pallet of fatality mouse pads. 
And so basically I called up the company that they made these printer pads, you know, and I was like, Hey, I need a pallet of fatality mouse pads and I need it to be on the dock so they can take it by boat to Germany. <laughs> so I orchestrate the whole deal. It was so sick. Uh, and uh, basically, you know, next day I had, you know, I had a wire transfer, got the wire money. I called up them. I wrote them a check, paid the bill, made, you know, 15, 20 grand on the deal, like just like in a second. And uh, I was like, wow, that was really easy. That was way easier than playing a video game tournament. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it was just amazing uh, ride. That was, uh, that was the very beginning of fatality. And then uh, since then, you know, fatality doesn't just slap its logos on things. uh, uh, We start making products from the ground up. Uh, So basically that's where I come in and give design features and points when we make products. So The first Fatality headphones we ever built with Creative Labs uh, back in the day, um, I created the first ever movable microphone for a gaming headset. And you see other co- companies like today are you know doing the same thing. So I was just ahead of uh, you know ahead of the curve in so many different ways uh, because I was basically I played so much and I knew what I needed to win, um, and and so that gave me a unique perspective uh, when I was making products and. Um, I had an eye for it and I knew what helped me gain a 1% edge or a 2% edge. Oh, if I, if I have this bigger mouse pad, I can, I don't have to pick up my mouse as much and I can, I can keep shooting the guy, you know, and like just like simple, basic stuff, like just common sense. Right. But no one's thinking about common sense. Sometimes they just, they just think this is it. This is how it is. And uh, so I was always out for looking for that one or 2% edge, you know, even with my motherboards, I overclock them because I want more frames. I want to see as many frames I possibly can get. So I have an edge of my opponent, you know, from playing from home Uh, and, you know, you know, having light headphones so I can game long hours. I don't have pain on my, my, on my ears, you know? So for me, uh, the fatality brand, I'm always trying to find ways to help gamers play to their full potential and find that, one or two percent edge like because if you're playing in a match against some guy and you kill him and he and, he, and you have two per, two health left say you have two health left and say that one percent hit like you won the match you won that fight because you had a larger mouse pad you know or you had a better mouse or you, you know you heard his footsteps so you knew he was around the corner or you saw more frames and able to land like an extra bullet um that's the difference of winning and losing and it's so minute. It's so such it's such a small uh, difference uh, of one other. But in when you're playing for championships, those things matter immensely. And uh, and you see it in games like you play, like League of Legends and so forth. The guy has a sliver of health, and then he can he can launch one more ability or, or launch one more shot on a guy, and it, it changes the game. You mm-hmm. know, so but even in Overwatch is what I've been playing a lot more recently, and I've noticed even just having like being able to the refresh rate on your monitor and you know literally how <laughs> what your mouse sensitivity is like can get you it's just insane like how how the minute details really do can affect your gameplay oh, um, 100% I mean you know for, uh, for a long time people didn't even know about refresh rate <laughs> you know and I was like I always uh, you know clocked my monitor at 120 hertz you know like if I go to a computer and play on 60 hertz I can't play like it's horrible it's like, you know, so uh, people, whenever they come over and they play, they come to my house or my, lan- you know, my Lancer, my, my old basement, uh, they'll uh, like, hey, come over and just feel this. And then they feel, whoa, this is like really smooth. It's like, yeah, I have a right setup. I can help you. 
so. <laughs> computer i feel like the the pc gaming culture now is to have these you know obviously very nice custom built with uh you know hand-picked parts um and, and really to be doing things like streaming and playing really competitively you need to have these you know pretty nice gaming computers um when did you see that in in gaming like when you were playing in the late 90s early 2000s i can't imagine that you were really building a computer with like really great parts yes we were really oh yeah we and uh i think i built my first computer i believe in 1997 98 and i actually built it from the scratch all the way up uh, I know I handpicked my uh, first one from the computer shopper from the from the big thick book. Um, it's it a long story. It's old news for you guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but you like you like you like literally it's like a book. It's like an inch thick book, and you just you scroll through this book, and you're like looking for the computer that you want to buy, and then you would find the one that had the best specs for the least amount of money. And, you know, you just try to price match. Like, oh, hey, that one costs $1,800. Like, that's the one. We got to get that one. Oh, oh, you can get this one for – you can get the monitor with it. And, like, you know, just what – you're hustling a deal, okay? Um, but, you know, back then that was like buying my first computer, which was a Pentium 166 megahertz, okay? Pentium 166 megahertz was the first computer I bought. I had like a, a another one, but that was like only 12 megahertz. And it was like ancient. It didn't run, it didn't even run Windows, Okay. <laughs> It ran Wolfenstein 3D though, which was like one of the first FPS games I ever played in 1993. But on the other side of that, uh, I mean, you think about that in 1990, I think it was 1997, 98, I bought the Intel Celeron 300A, which was 300 megahertz processor. And I bought a Pacific motherboard that was overclockable, which was, which was a A-bit BH6. I eventually upgraded to the BE6 because I could uh, adjust the multiplier, uh, uh, a little closer to get like an extra like i don't know 100 megahertz or something i don't know what, what it was but i had a Celeron 300a which i overclocked to 450 megahertz which was amazing back then basically getting 50 percent more speed because i overclocked it hmm. and i had right parts in the computer and uh yeah i mean i built the computer from the ground up and you know it was all about getting frames we were playing quake 3 arena and back then we had things like uh the Voodoo card, the TNT card. Um, and so you would buy these graphic cards. And like, I remember I had like a TNT two and you know, the the rich people had a TNT two ultra, you know, uh, I didn't have a lot of money back then. So I was just trying to hustle and bustle, whatever <laughs> to get, you know, the getting that star on 300 a and overclock to 450 megahertz was like buying like a $300 processor that does like what a thousand plus processor did. Wow. So that's, that processor because it was doing something that the other really expensive thing did naturally, but you could buy this really like, you know, for a third of price, you could buy this one overclocked if you knew what you're doing, but you take a risk of like, you know, burning out the CPU and there's a bunch of risk, but, uh, but you do it within, uh, you know, within guidance and people giving you advice. And, uh, I had a really good friend that's still in the tech space. He still writes and he actually works for AMD now. Uh, but uh, he's the one that helped me build my first rig. Oh wow! Uh, Scott Watson. Uh, we actually used to work together. We actually he actually the one that invited me over to play Quake at his house. And uh, oh, just a long story. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, definitely we were hardcore about our equipment back in the nineties, and obviously it just kept growing. I I played computer games as a kid. I was you know I was born in ninety one, so I was pretty young when you were competing. Um, like to me. 
so for me, I, I guess it just didn't even register that people were, you know, hand picking parts for computers. And my frame of reference was completely off for that. And so can I, I'm curious, what do you, what's your computer now? What are you running in your computer? If you're willing to uh, share with me uh, right now, I have uh, I have my uh, Intel Core i7 Fatality X79 champion motherboard uh, powered by ASRock. Um, it's a 3930K processor. I have an overclock to 4.6 gigahertz. Uh, I have a 2980 GTX uh, in my computer. Um, haven't made like the massive upgrade from you know this computer that I built. Um, just mainly because I overclocked it and it's, it's tuned so good right now. Uh, I'm waiting for the next big leap right now. And uh, I think it's right around the corner. So um, I'm just kind of like waiting to make the next big step. But my, my computers, I mean, it's in the top, you know, top 1% or, or less. Okay. So I, I know my computer, I, I do benchmarks on my computer and I test against the market and it's it's definitely in the top 1% or more. <laughs> I expect absolutely nothing less. I was just curious since we were talking about them. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about while I have you on the show today? Anything that you've got going on? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, um, I guess that's kind of the story about the Fatality brand, you know, I uh, talked about that. Um, I guess on the other side of it, um, you know, you're asking me, like, uh, what am I working on currently right now oh, yeah. and so forth. Oh, I did. Uh, oh, oh, I asked, I was going to bring up. Um, so I, I saw that you had put on um, a Rocket League tournament in 2016 where you gave out yeah a BMW as a prize. And when you were telling me the story about um, the uh, way earlier about the competition that they gave out the Ferrari, was that yeah. kind of what your inspiration was there? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, the thing is like, you know, I've been very fortunate to, you know, make live this amazing life as an, uh, you know, as their first full-time, you know, esports player and, uh, and, you know, and make this uh, crazy living uh, by playing video games. I mean, even today it's still crazy, uh, but uh, it's awesome. And uh, so for me, I've always tried to find ways to give back to the community um, and uh, do cool things in esports. And that's kind of what Fatality Brand is all about. Um, it's, uh, it's it's a brand that's built from a gamer that has lived in the battlefield. I mean, I'm not uh, some suit that uh, is trying to make money off gamers. I actually put my time and effort into get esports where it is a day and the fatality brand represents like, you know, all of that hard work and effort. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, why, you know, when I make, when I sold my first mouse pads, you know, I made 50 grand in five months. I turned around and I spent probably, you know, three grand flying a counter strike team to Las Vegas. <sighs> and then I sponsored uh, a call of duty team, uh, you know, United five back in the day. I eventually then uh, partnered, uh, sponsored uh, world series of video games and, uh, eventually championship gaming series and you know and uh, we did a tournament for league of legends in 2012 with Newegg where we gave away i think around uh, 10 or 20 grand um and then you know obviously this uh last event what you know in 2016 was you know a rocket league uh tournament you know and, and the truth be told like actually i was trying to do uh i was trying to do a doom tournament because doom just got announced and I actually called id Software and, and said, hey, I'd like to do a Doom competition and give away a, a BMW because it's my way of saying thanks for making such a great game and, and giving me my start in my career because uh, they made Quake and Quake 3 and all, and all the other games that I loved from id Software. Um, so uh, I reached out to them, but they had no LAN client. Um, so it was impossible to even throw an event for Doom. 
Um, and then I wanted to do Overwatch, uh, but unfortunately, there uh, there's an Overwatch tournament like two booths down from me, and it goes a conflict of interest. So I was like, oh my gosh, like you know. So then I called my friends at Rocket League. I was like, hey, I'm a big fan of Rocket League, you know, but I'm I'm in a position, you know, and I I, I kind of laid it out to them. I was like, you know, I've done, you know. I've already went down my 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 pick my picking order of like what I want to do, but dude, I really love Rocket League. You know, like Rocket League is like the game I play when I want to take a break and have fun with my friends. You know, and just joke around. I mean, obviously, you're still competitive. You still want to compete. It's very uh, competitive and very fun at the same time. Yeah, it's it's a riot. So I, I really enjoy it. So I was like, you know, I want to do let's do a Rocket League tournament. You know, and let's do this Fatality MVP Open where uh, you know we make one a BMW and. You know, it was a red BMW and it was kind of, you know, it wasn't a Ferrari, but, you know, it was brand new. It wasn't used. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, yeah, so then I, um, yeah, it was just kind of like my uh, heart just wanted to, you know, it's always just trying to give back to the community that I've been a part of and help grown and get to where it is today. And uh, I, I don't have any intentions of ever leaving esports. So uh, my, my intention is to be here for my whole life. So uh, and support it. That's amazing. And I mean, it, I feel like that's the natural progression as well. I'm sure it must be incredibly fulfilling to see the immense popularity of esports as it's over the years and kind of the, the really bright future for it, you know, um, especially Overwatch League being kind of like a really, really, I mean, Blizzard does a lot of things right a lot of the time. And I feel like Overwatch League is a really great first person shooter league that they've really dug their claws into making like regional teams that you know that give people who maybe not don't even play the game a chance to like become a fan of i was just kind of curious how it feels now to see just the the proliferation of esports as as it's grown oh man it's just it's amazing i mean just all the different ways people can make (laughs) money now in esports it's crazy i mean you know when i was doing it you know i was the only guy i mean i was really like pretty much the only guy making money. And uh, it was kind of like everyone else was like, it was a hobby. They still were going to school. They were still working. They were still doing whatever they had to do to make ends meet. Uh, they had to go back to this college, you know, had to go back to work, you know, had a family or whatever it was. There's just, there's so many things pulling people away because, you know, in esports, you know, once you get like, you know, 22 to 24 years old, you're like, man, like I either got to grow up or get out, you know? And, um, and that was kind of, you know, everyone's problem. Everyone had to, get out because the money wasn't there yet. And, uh, I was able to find ways to make it work and, you know, starting my company made it work as well, you know? And so I had a lot of things going in the right direction and, um, you know, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's been an amazing ride. So watching esports grow to where it is today, um, it's just, I think it's just a tribute to all the people that were at the beginning, like, and the people that just never gave up and just kept pushing it forward. And, you know, you know, you can go from ESL to, uh, you know, um, to Blizzard to uh, Valve, uh, you know, um, to the sponsors that have been a part of the community. Um, you know, the people like, uh, you know, the people that founded Twitch, you know, um, the people that work at Twitch. Uh, um, there's so many people that have helped esports get to where it is today, but there are some people there that have been there the mm-hmm. whole time. And uh, it's always see like the, the OGs, uh, you know, kind of like holding the flag strong, you know, and, and always pushing in the right direction. So that's kind of like, you know, where I feel like I fall in where just, you know, it's just, you know, 
I, I, I mean, I got, I mean, I'm probably the most interviewed gamer in the world. So, uh, you know, I've been all over, I've been to every continent besides Antarctica and I've, I've basically done all the biggest media you can possibly do, uh, talking about, you know, esports and, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun and, you know, just try to shed a good light on it and explain to people how much fun it is and how much fun we're having and, uh, and then take it from there. Yeah. So, um, one of the funny things, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, how the top 10 was like right, only exactly. one American. Exactly. I was just curious. <laughs> like, it's insane to me. Cause, yeah, because like, you know, and people are like, the number one game in the world is American. He's white. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was like Koreans all the way up it to you. So. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was so funny. So uh, I'm not sure if you know DJ Wheat, Marcus Graham. Uh, he works at Twitch. Uh, but he's been in the esports scene forever. I mean, I went to one of his land parties when I was 15, but he interviewed me uh, right when the Korean passed me on the all-time earning list. I think it was in 2012, 2013. And he called me up and interviewed me. And he goes, and we had a long talk, and he goes, Fatality, so what do you think about uh, Daejong passing you on the all-time earning list for an esport? And then I said, took him long enough. <laughs> so it was like and then he goes shots fired you know it's like you know i mean because i didn't play for about five years or so but uh you know it was just kind of like uh, a little stab but uh at the same time I try to have light humor and and, and try to joke around a little bit so uh, it's so good that we have uh um voice now where because like i used to do interviews where you just have to oh. write it and it's so sometimes writing like the jokes don't come across right but uh I, I do beat it in the, the funniest <laughs> No, absolutely. Um, and so how often can people catch you like streaming on Twitch and stuff? Um, I, I, right now I've been streaming like really kind of late at nights, um, uh, Pacific Standard Time. Um, it seems like that's kind of like when I get kind of like the all the late uh, hardcore gamers and uh, people waking up yeah. in Europe. Um, so um, that's what I've been doing right now. Um, I'm always down to move around, change it up based on uh, the audience, but uh, it seems I'm getting most of the traction at, at like late night hours. Um, and that's typically when I'm most free too. Is like, you know, I mean, typically I'm, I'm at home by 10 PM at night <laughs> or 11, uh, you know, so my goal is to stream as you know, much as I can, but uh, you know, during the, during the run where I made number one in North America for solos and PUBG uh, this last summer, I was streaming like basically 11 to 5 PM every day. Um, but I wasn't really seeing a lot of growth there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm still new to it. Like, you know, I'm just, you know, and people just don't know that I, uh, stream, uh, you know, I think a lot of people just don't know, uh, you know, where they can find me at. So, uh, if they want to find me, I'm definitely, uh, on all your social networks as fatality. It's uh, fatal one T Y and, uh, I'll be, uh, I'll be probably on tonight actually. So, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still playing a lot of sports. I'm actually gonna play ice hockey. Uh, in about an hour, and then after a hockey, I'm coming home. So I still love playing sports and playing my video games. That's that's the recipe of my life. Perfect. Well, I didn't even have to ask you <laughs> to wrap that up for me, so that was perfect. Um, and I will have links to absolutely everything or all the places that people can find you at on my, my website, kickbats.com, um, in the show notes for today's episode. Yeah, and I think that that's really it is there anything else that you wanted to um i mean i feel like you said we, got, it was got, perfect got practice really gotta practice 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 Wait. right <laughs> practice forever it's the only way you're gonna be number one number one anything 
Right. Gotta practice, practice, practice. <laughs> I am now. <laughs> no, I mean that's. I mean that's precisely. All right. So that was my interview with uh, Fatality. I think it's a great springboard into starting to talk about esports on the show and I hope I have opportunities to talk to other uh, influential uh, people who have been working tirelessly for a few decades to really bring esports out into the spotlight and really help it grow. Like I said earlier, I'll have links to everywhere that you can find Fatality, his Twitch channel especially, now that he is streaming regularly, uh, his social media, so you guys can keep up with him. Maybe we can convince him to play Fortnite, tackle that beast, since he's already uh, bested PUBG. So, yeah. Uh, don't forget to follow me on social media. Reach out. Let me know what you think of the show. You know, subscribe or give me, leave me like a review or something on iTunes. I've got a couple of them. But, you know, I always like to see what people think. And I think that that's it. I will see you guys next time. <laughs>